Welcome to Grow With The Flow podcast with your friend and host, Itzy. Here, we inspire each other to grow, grow professionally in our career aspirations, and grow personally with our life, relationships, and confidence, all while rolling with the punches, embracing the chaos, and growing with the flow. Hi there, welcome back to another episode of Grow With The Flow podcast. I am your host, Itzy, and I want to start off by thanking you for tuning in and deciding to take some time out of your busy day to spend it with me. Now, I'm guessing you probably read the title of this episode and you probably tuned in because you are either invested in your career journey or, like a lot of us, are trying to figure it out. So I am very excited to share today's episode. I am joined by an angel and fellow friend, Ariel Oz, who some of you may have previously known as a friendly face behind Laura Mercier's influencer marketing. She has previously also worked with Oribe Hair Care and L'Oreal. She's a self-proclaimed skincare hoarder and beauty insider, and in her spare time, she also shares style, wellness, and beauty tips with her followers. In this episode, we get into the nitty-gritty of working in the influencer marketing industry, the pressures of having a glamorous job, and several tips about interviewing and networking. So grab your pen and a notepad because this is a noteworthy episode. So let's get right to it. Hi, Ariel. Welcome to Grow With The Flow podcast. I'm so excited to have you on here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to join. Thanks for thinking of me. Of course. So I like to start off the podcast with asking how you are growing with the flow currently. I am growing with the flow really, really well. I am actually starting a new job in about a week. So I'm really excited for this new journey. I'm also trying to close on a house at the end of this month. So just big life moments. That's amazing. I feel like you're always just doing like the most, but in the best way. And you're such an inspiration. And I know you were, you were planning a wedding at one point. So we both were like, how do we manage these like three jobs? Because we're both content creating and we're have full-time jobs and planning a wedding. And now you're going to have a whole house. So that's amazing. And I can't wait to hear about your new job. Thank you. It is definitely wild. And I think that, you know, with COVID, my wedding has kind of taken a back burner, which hasn't been bad because I've been able to focus on a lot of other things. And I think just, you know, moving forward instead of kind of feeling like you're stalling. So that's why we decided to jump on buying a house. Yeah. It's a great time to be like with your loved ones and like sharing milestones. So Definitely. I joke. Um, if you told me at 29 that I'd be moving into my parents' house for two months with my fiance a year ago, I would have laughed in your face. And it's not so funny right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many things have happened. And it's just like, you just got to expect the unexpected at this point. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. So let's get right into it. Why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your career journey? Definitely. So I have been a beauty PR girl now for, I think it's almost eight years. I was with L'Oreal for Essie Nail Polish. I was with Luxury Brand Partners, which is basically a beauty incubator. And they have done a ton of different brands. The most popular was Orbe. Lastly, I was with Laura Mercier and I was there for three and a half years running their influencer marketing. And I built the program from the ground up. So it's been really exciting to be in the beauty space. I'm actually starting a new role in a new industry. I'm going into food delivery, which just feels really fitting given COVID and just is really an industry that's booming. I thought it was a great time to kind of just try something new out. And I can always come back to beauty in the future if I want to come back. So I'm excited to have kind of this new experience and learn a lot more. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I feel like that's a huge shift, but who doesn't love food? And Lupo and I are always getting food delivery services. So we're big fans. And I know that you're going to do amazing in everything that you do. So, And Freshly is pretty... They're kind of more recent. They're actually... So I think they've been around since 2015. Let me just say they've been around for a while because I actually don't know. Okay. Um, They've been around for a while. They actually just got acquired by Nestle, which is 
the biggest food distributor in the world. It's the biggest food company. So it's part of their step to, you know, evolving with innovation and food delivery and also focusing on healthy food. So I'm really excited to be part of that team as, you know, they integrate into Nestle and continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit more about how influencer marketing works and what your role is now and how it compares to the ones in the past. Influencer marketing has blown up so much over my time working in the space. So actually, when I started at L'Oreal, I was in a global communications role. And I was really focusing on actually like social content creation. So we came up with the iconic hand holding a prop that matched the name of the bottle, which at the time was revolutionary. We were like the first brand to hit a million followers. Now thinking about it, it's so basic and it's hilarious, but it was so fun. I got to name a lot of nail polish shades. So that's always my like fun fact about myself. An influencer at the time wasn't as big. So I was doing a lot of the behind the scenes for Fashion Week and we were really focused on editors. And my first season, which um, was a little bit after I started there, I actually was able to invite two influencers. And that was kind of like the first influencer foray in my career history. Fast forward, influencer marketing has grown hugely. And I realized after I was at Luxury and Partners, I really wanted to deep dive into building one brand and growing their strategy. So I went to Laura Mercier and I built the program totally from scratch. There was no one that even was in contact with influencers before I joined. So when I started, it was just building organic relationships, sending product out. My first mailing was 200 influencers. And we had two events that first year. Last year, I think the biggest mailer we sent out was 2,000 influencers. And we had 14 events, including two brand trips to brands. That is incredible. Well, I am so lucky to be one of those 2,000, but it's just crazy to think how fast it has multiplied. And the fact that you were able to build it from scratch is amazing, but also a little nerve wracking because there's so much room for trial and error, but there's so much room for like messing up too, because you don't know like what's in it for you and like the return on investment. And I think that's where like micro influencers come in handy and stuff. So we'll get into that, but props to you. That's incredible. So how did you end up in influencer marketing? Was this always your goal? It actually was. And I think it was just really taking a look at what was happening in the industry and where things were kind of trending. So after SE, my second role, which was at Luxury Brand Partners, I was working across experts, hairstylists, manicurists, makeup artists, and then also influencers. And I was in charge of assigning influencers to the different brands. It was really tough because I wasn't able to have influencers cross over across different brands. But we all know that influencers use, you know, 20 different makeup brands in their makeup kit, just like a normal consumer. So after leaving there, I was really excited to focus on just building one brand's loyalty with Laura Mercier. So I'd like to know a little bit more about how you got more specifically into the beauty industry. Tell us about like your education experience and how you were able to kind of get your foot in the door. So I went to the University of Michigan and I was a double major in art history and communications. And I knew I wanted to go into PR upon graduating. So actually I had fashion internships while I was in college. I worked for Zach Posen, Hermes, and having those really top tier luxury designers on my resume was really helpful with opening doors in the future. I highly recommend to everyone to get super involved on campus college ambassador programs. Maybelline has one. I was part of the Victoria's Secret Pink team. It's a really great way to add experience to your resume. And oftentimes they look to hire people once they graduate also. That's really great advice. I think when I was at UCSB, I since I lived in Santa Barbara, I was really out of touch with the fashion industry because I feel like it was very heavy in LA or New York. But now that everything is remote, I feel like there's so many more opportunities to really do those internships. Definitely. I've seen a lot of college campus programs popping up. So I've been telling people to definitely 
run and apply to them as soon as they come over. Yeah, I love that you're like also sharing, like you're kind of doing recruiting a little bit on TikTok, which is amazing. And I never thought of that. But there's so many helpful industry tips and also like job career opportunities on there. And you just wouldn't think of it. It is so funny how TikTok opened this whole door for me. I posted one video about my role at Laura Mercy and it went totally viral. I think it hit like 450K views. And I just got a flood of messages asking about my career and informationals. And so I started hosting Zoom informationals during quarantine at like the peak of it with like 100 girls. I think I did four of them. And the demand just got so tough with balancing work that I ended up filming a YouTube video. So if you want to check out my YouTube video, you totally can. And it goes more in depth in my career journey any kind of tips and tricks for networking and getting a job, um, as well as more about what I did at all my different jobs. And it's been really amazing to just kind of be able to connect with people, encourage people and inspire and give back because I had so many people get coffee with me when I was in that position and take a chance on me. So it's been really fun to kind of share internships and jobs and just any kind of advice with you know the community. Yeah, that's incredible. I think we have so much like power and information at our fingertips. So I think people should use it very wisely, but also take advantage of it as well. So tell us about going into the fashion industry and studying PR. Like, did you ever feel pressure from family or society to have this glamorous job? Like I know for one, as an example, I would try to explain communication to my parents all the time and they had no idea what I was talking about. And I was like, well, I just want to be like a news reporter. I just want to, I just want to live up to like Elsie from the Hills dreams and work for Teen Vogue at a magazine. Did you feel like it was like that or your, your heart was always in it? I think I was always in it. It just really spoke to me and I knew it was going to be my path. My parents were in a similar position. I'm a first-generation college graduate. My father is Israeli. My mom is Dominican. Neither of them went to college. My father is self-employed. And so they really don't understand the corporate world, first of all. Then when you throw communications at them, they have no idea what's happening. And so actually, I love art history. And so I knew that was going to be like my personal major and that communications would be my job later on. And so when I told them I wanted to go to do PR, they saw that there were these jobs in you know, really established fashion houses and corporate companies like L'Oreal and Shiseido. And so they got on board. I think once I shifted to influencer marketing, they still have no idea what <laughs> I do. And even with my own personal Instagram, they don't get it. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's hard. It's hard to get them on board, but I like that you mentioned that you had your art history kind of as, as like a foundation because I studied sociology and I think it's fascinating because internships can really reroute you into the path that you want. So it doesn't, I feel like if there's one thing that listeners should take, it's like, you don't have to feel like your college experience or your degree is going to take you exactly where you're going to be career wise, because I, unless you're going to be like a doctor, right? I mean, you need your PhD and all that. But for the liberal arts, it's so much more flexible. And like I ended up doing marketing and it worked out. And now I can even just use my content creation as another thing on my resume, which if you told someone that 10 years ago, they'd be like, what? That is insane. So it's really cool that that's happening now. Absolutely. I always tell students to look at jobs that they would want to work in. So look at coordinator level jobs and see what majors are required. Oftentimes it really is just a liberal arts degree, but if there's something more specific and they're able to find out what that is, at least they can make sure they're on that track. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, so tell us about your favorite parts about working in influencer marketing and your least favorite. I know people think that it is a glamorous job. And I've talked to you personally, and I know there's a ton of hard work that doesn't go seen and lots of travel, lots of hotel rooms. There is so much behind the scenes that people don't realize. And I like to joke that behind all the glamorous moments, and I think a lot of people want to go into these roles because of the glamour and don't realize how much work is behind it. There are so many sleepless nights. I mean, I literally 
I'm always stressed out. I think there's like 10 events always happening at a time, depending on the brand you work for. With Laura Mercier, we had 14 events with two global trips in 12 months. So realistically, we were insanely busy on top of all the other things we did, like the mailings and just emails and meetings. So I think it's really demanding. I was traveling about once a month, if not a little bit more. Obviously with COVID, that is really going to change. And I think that the industry in general is changing. I think makeup sales are not doing as well. And I think that budgets will be less. I think events are changing to more virtual, which I think is exciting because you're able to reach so many more people in places you weren't. And so you're very lucky to be in LA, which is the hub of all events. But I think for someone that is a inspiring influencer based in Tennessee, they don't have as many opportunities to connect with the brand. And so I think it's been really nice to be able to connect with people more in Central America or even outside of just New York and LA. So I think, you know, if you look at Laura Mercier and you look at that across all brands, it really catered to a very specific region. That is pretty true. I think that I've felt so much more relief being at the comfort of my own home and being in these workshops. And you're not seeing the same people anymore at these events. <laughs> like you have people all over the world and it's just a whole new world. Um, I do see what you're saying with the budget. Like I've definitely noticed a shift there, but I think it's time to be more creative and kind of work on long-term partnerships and really like take it up a notch on the content creation side. Definitely. And I think that there are so many opportunities and categories to explore outside of just beauty or skincare. Obviously, skincare is doing amazing right now as people are really focusing on themselves. But I think we've seen the boom in natural deodorant and sweat sets and workout gear and food delivery. And I like to say, you know, everyone eats. There's so many opportunities with this new role that I'm really excited about. I'm really excited to work with so many different content creators. One of my proudest achievements with working at Laura Mercy was that I was able to shape the brand to be more inclusive and work with influencers of all different racial backgrounds. And that's really important to me being Hispanic and Middle Eastern and just be able to reach a wider audience. And so that's something that I think is even more true with Freshly because literally everyone needs. So you're able to work with so many different types of people. Yeah, you can't put a look to food. So that's really important. I'd love to hear more about that shift because eight years, right? Like you closed a door from a program that you built from the ground up. And I've moved on from so many jobs in the past that it's been difficult. Like, how did you decide like it's time to leave the beauty world into something new? And I know you said you can always go back, but I bet it wasn't that easy. Talk us through that a little bit. I think in COVID, I've just been looking at the effort and what I'm putting out into the world and what good I'm doing. So I think with Laura Mercy, I feel most fulfilled by making it more inclusive and reaching women of all and men of all different backgrounds. And I think that's really the highlight for me with that brand. And I think I just started to plateau. I wasn't really learning much more. I was like a contract whiz by the end. I was a great negotiator, which were things that I was really learning at, you know, my two-year mark and we're just starting to pick up. So we hadn't done paid campaigns before that. Then we did the brand trips and that was so exciting for the first and second one. But by the third one, you're like, okay, I kind of know this. And then COVID hit. And so you realize, you know, obviously kind of those glamorous moments of the travel and everything, those are going away right now. Same with packing hundreds of boxes and goodie bags. So that's not, you know, too shabby either, but it's really a give and take. And I think I've just realized I'm 29. I'm getting married, hopefully sooner than later, planning for January and Palm Springs. If it happens, if we're not in quarantine again, we are buying a house. And so I'm just looking for a more, comfortable environment as well as a new challenge and also a really nice atmosphere. I think um, there are many rumors about the fashion and makeup industry and there is that devil wears Prada stereotype for a reason. I think I've just outgrown it and I've been looking at my life and just reassessing my priorities, which I think a lot of people are doing right now. And I think I realized that 
it's not all about the glamour. It's about the connections you make. And that's what I'm proud of. And I'll be able to bring those connections with me wherever I go. Additionally, I think you look at COVID and how it's impacted so many people's lives in the worst way. And I wanted to work for a brand and a company that really focuses on giving back to the community. And so I'm really excited about the Freshly Roll, more so because they've partnered with organizations like Meals on Wheels. And I think that there's an amazing opportunity to build the charity aspect through Influencer. So that's what I'm really excited about. And moreover, that they just got acquired by Nestle, which is a very charitable company. And I know that that's a priority for them. So I think those are all of the factors that kind of came together for this perfect moment. I feel like it is. it came full circle. And it's great to see that so many people are finding their purpose in life and seeing that there is more to glamour, right? We're all experiencing that. And even as a content creator myself, I've learned that I want to put out meaningful and intentional content. And I mean, I was always on that route, but it became so like this nuance where it was very repetitive. And now it's, I think I see a lot of shift in that industry and I hope that it just continues. So I'm really proud of you. And that's incredible that you're seeing that. side. (laughs) So I want to get into a little bit about the role that you had accepted prior to Freshly when you left Laura. I know you said you realized it wasn't a good fit. Maybe it was because of what you just explained, but I'd love to hear more about that because I think Oftentimes, people don't realize that the interview portion is an interview for you as well, but there's only so much you can find out in that interview process. And sometimes you're in a position and you're just like, this is not what I signed up for. So how, what advice would you give to someone that is maybe in that same position as you? Um, I think that a lesson I've learned throughout my career and unfortunately have made this mistake a few too many times is don't jump on the first job you get really take your time to think it over, explore other opportunities if you can, and see what really matters to you. And so actually, when I graduated from college, I accepted a jewelry sales role. And it was the first job offer I got. I just felt pressure to start working because my friends were working for BlackRock and Deloitte, and they had their offers a year in advance. And I was one of the only ones without a job. And so I just jumped right into it. And about a month later, I got an opportunity to consult for L'Oreal on their fashion week for Essie and realized it was not great that I had accepted a role that I knew wasn't right for me. It was very sales focused when I wanted to do PR and it wasn't great to burn that bridge by quitting so soon after starting. I also recognized that the Essie role was a once in a lifetime opportunity and that I had to jump for it. So that was actually my first foray into beauty and how I got my foot in the door. And having something like L'Oreal on your resume really does open a lot of opportunities in the long run. I unfortunately made the same mistake about eight years later. And I think sometimes you can get caught up on the brand name. And so working for someone of a very high stature and celebrity status, and one of like the coolest at brands of the moment, can sound really appealing. But I unfortunately really quickly realized I was actually sold a job that wasn't existing in reality. And so I was told I was going to be doing influencer marketing, but actually wasn't really able to reach out to influencers. And there was just not a lot of collaboration between the team and a lot of legal kind of tension. I just quickly realized it wasn't going to be the right environment for me. And I didn't see myself growing long-term. I was really embarrassed because I had just kind of announced to the world that this was my new role. And so I kind of went through a moment of just deep anxiety of realizing, do I stick it out? And will people be embarrassed of me? Will I be embarrassed myself? Am I going to be letting people down? And kind of just analyzing, you know, how is this going to affect? Like, are my parents going to be devastated? And When speaking with my family and my fiance, everyone really rallied behind me because the fact is people in your life that love you will love you no matter what. It's more important for your own mental health that you're happy wherever you are. And I just realized that long-term there wouldn't be the growth and that I would be relying on the same skills I had previously learned. 
And I think COVID has been a moment of reflection for everyone. And I think I had recognized that I wanted to find a more startup environment that was a bit more relaxed, somewhere I would really own everything under influencer and have kind of that really huge responsibility of running all those campaigns, but also somewhere that was focused on the community and giving back. So I had kind of all these initial thoughts, but unfortunately, you know, this role that popped up like two weeks into my job search, I got the offer within two days. It just felt too good to be true. And I felt like I had to take it. And I was wrong. I realized it wasn't right for me. And I was kind of ignoring all that self-reflection I had done during this time. And so ultimately parted ways and I found this role, which I'm really excited about. And I've, you know, taken some time to kind of assess what was right for me and focus on myself. And I've been able to kind of grow my Instagram and my Zoom meetings with students and kind of all these kind of side hobbies or hustles that I am really passionate about, but maybe wasn't the best at balancing, you know, life and work in the, in the past. I think my Instagram kind of like definitely got the short end of the stick in the past. But I think I'm finding that balance and finding things that really matter to me and are making me happy. I love that. I mean, I, if anything, when you told me that I, I was not embarrassed and I respected you. Like I admired that because I think it's really important to lead by example, because I think there's oftentimes a lot of people, myself included, that put up with really toxic workplaces because of the name or because they were promised something. And we've been kind of conditioned to keep a job longer than a year because it's not going to look professional. But I think we're all, like you said, it's our priorities and our mental health is so important and work-life balance is so important. So you really have to just look at the pros and cons and what your priorities are for a job and what you can kind of, what you can sacrifice um, and what you're not, what's a deal breaker, right? So that's really important when going into a job search. And I I actually had to make a big change in the last year. I went from working at a multicultural center, which I loved. I worked, I loved working with students. I loved marketing the events. It felt very impactful, but it was so draining. I took a lot of that home with me. And it was just, I had to change into a more like traditional higher education job. And at first I was like, am I a fraud because I'm leaving a social justice a workplace? Um, Am I a fraud because I'm just kind of like quitting? So there was a lot that I felt, but at the end of the day, it was my mental health. And I knew there was so much more I could do with my own platform, still advocating for social justice. So it was like a toss up and I just had to like really sit down and prioritize that. So you are not alone. (laughs) I've been there. I love to hear that. And I think we're defined by so much more than just one rule. I think I really was the Laura Mercy girl for so long. And I think people were really shocked when I left, but I'm not just that, you know, I am engaged. I am 29. I am Dominican and Middle Eastern. I am influencing on my own and trying to be a mentor. And so I think there's so many different facets and that everyone has to themselves and you shouldn't feel like you're stuck because you're defined by that one thing. And to be honest, honestly, looking back, I probably should have left Laura Mercier sooner, but I just felt like it was so a part of my identification. Thank you for saying that. Like your job really does not define you. And I think we have this idea also of like, you should wake up and be a hundred percent happy with your job. Like it's the only thing that matters, but that's okay. If you're only 80% happy with it, you find that 20% of happiness elsewhere. And that's not going to be the end all be all. I truly think it doesn't matter what company you're working for. It's so much more important of who you're working for or with, because that will change everything. It could be the coolest company in the world. But if you hate your boss, you are going to be miserable. Yep. 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 I totally agree. That was powerful. (laughs) I'm like, how do I move on to the next question? I think at a certain age, also, you kind of learn to put yourself first. So I think, you know, if you had been speaking to me eight years ago, I actually loved my boss and she still is one of my closest friends and mentors. We hang out like every two weeks, but had I hated her back then, I think, you know, in your first role, you're willing to stick it out a bit more and just kind of learning yourself and learning your workflows through that. 
I think now at almost 30, I'm not really willing to put up with that. I think that also was part of why I decided to shift industries. Yeah. I mean, now that I think of it, like if you really hadn't taken that SC job, you would be still at the first one and who knows where you would have ended up now. You probably wouldn't be in the beauty industry or maybe you would, but you're all that self-growth that you've mentioned, like it wouldn't have happened and you'd be a different person today. So it's really all about trusting your gut and what's best for you and not burning those bridges <laughs> as best as you can. <laughs> yeah. That first role, actually, it was just, it was a four month contract work and I just decided, let me go for it. So I honestly got really lucky and got the role from someone that I had hounded for an informational. I emailed her, I believe, five times over six months before she finally agreed to meet with me. And a month later, she offered me the role. So I always tell people, don't be afraid to reach out multiple times because you might just catch someone on a better day where they answer. There's been so many collaborations where people are like, I don't know why I didn't see this or this is what the this ended up in my junk email. So you just never know. I'd love to hear what some of your other career tips are for landing a dream job or just any job. I think when I graduated, I really tapped into my alumni base. And so I messaged anyone and everyone that worked at a dream company, even if they weren't in the role that I wanted just to try to get an informational or have them pass along my resume. I'm a big believer in asking to get coffee. And right now I think, you know, everyone's kind of more flexible from home. And so virtual coffees are such a great opportunity. And I think it's really important to make that connection before you ask someone for a favor. So if I get a LinkedIn message from someone and they just point blank or like, hire me, or can you pass on my resume? It's just human nature to feel less inclined than if I spend an hour getting coffee with someone, getting to know them, hearing about their dreams, and then them following up and asking for them for me to pass along their resume. So I think just human interaction, sending thank you notes via email or handwritten. I'm a big handwritten note believer. Obviously, we love your handwritten notes from Laura Mercy. <laughs> At one point, I was saving all of them and I was like, okay, this is getting absurd. <laughs> Those are like famous. They were tagged in so many Instagram stories and so many people always commented about them. You have the best handwriting. <laughs> it's actually a robot arm. And oh, okay. Dirty little secret. <laughs> Pro tip. I was like, oh my gosh, you must get so tired. But I feel like you went from 200 to 2000. So that would have been a little insane. There is no way that would have taken me at least a month and we did not have that time, but it was super beautiful. And it was actually handwritten just by a robot arm. And it's a really beautiful touch. That's awesome. I like that you mentioned that you reached out to a lot of uh, alumni, like your whole alumni community, because LinkedIn is such a powerful resource. And there have been so many interviews that I have gotten through LinkedIn. And like you said, it should always be authentic. Like you should never just dive into people's DMs or messages and just be like, hey, can you hire me? Or hey, can you hook me up with the job? There should be people's time is money. And like there should be something, you know, authentic to do that. But what other advice do you have for networking during this time? It's a lot more difficult to go to events and meet the head of marketing, perhaps from another brand or make a good impression on someone. Um, I know you said a handwritten note or an email, but is there anything else that you think works really well? I think it's so twofold because I think networking is so important. I've actually gone a lot of my jobs through networking. So that first role at SE, I got through networking. Laura Mercy, I actually got through networking as well. I met with, same story, met with my boss about um, two months before a role opened up and then she thought of me at that moment. And I had about two months of interviewing and then got the role. But at the same time with this role for Freshly, I actually completely blind applied on LinkedIn. So I think people get really caught up on, oh, I don't have a network here. They'll never consider me. That's not true. I think you miss... My fiance loves to say, you miss all the shots that you don't take. And so had I not applied because I got caught up on not knowing someone there, I wouldn't have this new job. So I think it's a give and take of being really on top of LinkedIn. I check every morning and every night when I'm job searching because it's really about just being one of the first people to apply. Networking, but also feeling confident to reach out to things completely blind. 
I think being really conscious of someone's time. So when you do have that networking session, you should be prepared. You should tell them a little bit about you, have really thoughtful questions about their career. Honestly, when I meet with someone and they are just ask me what I do, which they've already learned through a Zoom or through my YouTube video, and they're not really asking deeper questions, it feels like a little bit of a waste for them because I'm like, this is the opportunity for you to really dive in deeper than just the basics that I've already shared. I think also, you know, kind of questions like how much you make. There are resources online for that. So using Glassdoor, I think just really being thoughtful with how you're approaching someone to not kind of turn them off in any way. A lot of my internships I got when I was in college were posted on freefashioninternships.com. I always look on Indeed. So I think it's really just casting a wide net, looking beyond just, you know, LinkedIn and also looking at the job sites for the companies you want to work for. So whatever I do when I'm looking for a job is I actually create a word list or a memo pad in my phone of just any cool brands I'd work for literally just a list of like a hundred brands. And then I just start looking at all their websites on LinkedIn, see if they've hired anyone recently in the role I'd be interested in. Because if someone just started, you know, two months ago, they're probably not looking to hire at this time. But on the flip side, you know, coming across, for instance, L'Oreal Internship, which is currently posted on their website, but isn't posted on LinkedIn at the moment, is a great find. So they share, you know, that LinkedIn posting once or twice over the span of the four months that they're taking application. So if you happen to miss those two posts, you've missed out on this amazing opportunity when it's right on their website. So just taking that extra step, it's a lot of work, but it's so much more rewarding. I love that you shared that networking isn't all of it because oftentimes we do get discouraged. We're just like, we don't know anyone on the team. Or what are they going to think of me? I'm coming from this completely different world. Like maybe for you, I'm coming from beauty. They're going to be like, she doesn't know food. But <laughs> I, I think that it's important to know that networking isn't completely necessary and that you should put yourself out there. You have nothing to lose. And then also there have been so many instances where I've kind of molded my job into kind of a new position where it's like, this isn't working. Like at my last job, we got rid of press releases. We started doing new things. So don't be discouraged by a job description because so many times, once you get their trust, you can really tweak it to fit you and your abilities best. And then especially if you have marketing assistance or just any assistance or help, they can take on those tasks. So don't let it bring you down just because you're not well-versed in all of those 10 areas. So thank you for sharing that because I think oftentimes people just look at the job description and they're just like, I can't do that. (laughs) Absolutely. I think I was definitely caught up on not having kind of food experience when I was applying to Freshly. But in the end of the day, you know, marketing a product especially when it's a consumer goods like beauty is and same with food. It is those same tactics and strategies. It's just a different product. And I think that, you know, when I interviewed, I really owned that. And I said, you know, this is not my forte, but I'm passionate about the product you sell because actually my fiance does all the cooking. And I basically (laughs) skip meals when he's not cooking for me. Sometimes I just like forget to eat when I'm working and interviewing and, you know, posting on Instagram. Sometimes I just forget. And I think freshly, first of all, for me, three minutes in the microwave is a dream, especially as like a meal replacement for those moments where I just don't have time to cook. It's also all gluten-free. And I discovered I was gluten-free for a, a year and a half ago. And oftentimes I still am like, what can I even eat? So I think when I interviewed, I really radiated that I embodied this lifestyle. I'm the perfect consumer. And because of that, I know how to speak to your clientele and your influencers. So I think just really, of course, always just saying, you know, if you're an embodiment of the brand and you're passionate about it, have that come through. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Okay. So I want to shift into a little bit of content creation Tell us a little bit about how you balance your full-time job and content creation. You mentioned that it wasn't always easy. Part of that is finding a new job that allows for that work balance. But how do you draw those boundaries and how have you in the past? It's so tough. I actually started the Instagram totally as just a, I guess, like a fake account. I was getting a lot of 
In my role with Laura Mercy, I was connecting with a lot of influencers who obviously love to stay in touch via Instagram and DM. And it was just actually getting a little overwhelming in my personal account. So I set up a second account, which is this one, to kind of have all those relationships, be able to see everyone's stories, be able to see when people tag me. And it grew from there just naturally over time. And it's grown a lot over quarantine because I think I'm really just hosting more frequently and what I'm passionate about and sharing more tidbits about my life. And I think that work-life balance is so hard. And actually, I think what a lot of people don't realize is depending on the company you work for. So for instance, when I worked at Shiseido, I was actually only able to post Shiseido products. So that was really limiting. And it honestly kind of took the fun and creativity out of content creation because I really was posting so much about beauty before that. And so I think that's why if you look at my account, there's kind of fluctuations. I think that's true for everyone. Like life happens. There are moments where you're less active, moments you're more. And I think through this new role and kind of this new self, I'm really excited to, you know, start posting more about home and my family's puppy and get back into beauty because it is something I'm so passionate about. And now that I don't work for a beauty company, I can, you know, speak to more products, really share what I love, products I love. And so it's just so much more authentic to me. Was that more of a rule that kind of came about while you were in the job because they saw some sort of conflict of interest or was it always a rule? It actually, I think it happened about a year and a half into my role with the brand. Um, So I think as influencer marketing kind of grew with time, that conflict was viewed as more of a conflict. Mm -hmm. I actually think a lot of brands are kind of now taking the opposite approach where a lot of their PR people are starting to post about other brands and being creators in their own right. So I think it just depends on the company. And I think a lot of these smaller brands are more flexible than a more corporate level company. So it was really disappointing when they came to you. I obviously understood um, and put my job first over the content creating. And I think in my mind, I was just like, shut down. It felt like a block and I kind of put a wall up. And I think that was my own fault for not expanding into other categories and still sharing content. So I'm really excited with where I'm at in life to be able to, you know, share a lot of different content and just not have those kind of restrictions. I feel that too, as a content creator, when I do takeovers for brands or maybe like a YouTube video or Instagram TV, and they let me use other products, like that is amazing because it makes sense. Like I'm I'm not a walking billboard just for your brand. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like my first beauty brand that I worked with ever was Glossier like four or five years ago. And they were, it was super organic because they didn't put pressure. Like you have to have one post per month. And I made like the most I've ever, like I've driven so many sales to Glossier because of that. So it just came so organic and people saw that. I feel like people don't want to see like a walking billboard ad. They want to see it be natural, incorporate other products, and they will gravitate towards that one beauty product that fits them. So I, I think that it's smart of brands to take the other route. I think a lot of brands are starting to go that way. And I know at Laura Mercy, I definitely did. I think the days of like an exclusive YouTube video are long gone. It's just, first of all, way too expensive for what people want to charge. And second of all, it's just so inauthentic and it really doesn't drive as many sales. So oftentimes with Laura Mercy, I would do face as an exclusive and then everything else is kind of open so that we would be able to cut that content and have foundation, concealer, and setting powder together for our own assets. But it was still content that the influencer's audience would engage with and want to watch. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, so I'd love to hear a little bit about just what advice you would give um, someone who wants to start collaborating with beauty brands but doesn't know where to begin? Sort of how to get onto someone's PR list and how to get paid once you're on that PR list. This is definitely one of the biggest questions I get. Getting on a brand's PR list, first of all, you should be posting about the brand organically, constantly. We found probably 50% of the influencers that we added to our PR list just from them posting. Actually, a lot of influencers don't realize this, but we use a lot of backend softwares that actually pull everyone's posts in when they tag a brand like Laura Mercy. So we see your content. We know when you're posting. 
So it just alerts us of who is actually, you know, authentically or organically using the products. What are they saying about it? And how often are they sharing? So I think my first tip is always organically use the products. Then after you post it a few times, and I think when I say post, I mean both in-feed and stories because brands obviously really look for in-feed content. I like to send an email to whatever email contact you're able to find and have those links in the email so that they can see exactly what content you've posted, what products you've tried. And so if they decide to send you products, they know what you already have and they can send you other stuff. Also, once you're on that PR list, we know what your favorites are based on what you previously posted, and then we'll send you restocks of those. So as far as getting paid, how do you move from the PR list to getting paid? There is so much that goes on behind paid campaigns that I think a lot of people just don't realize. I think a lot of times you look at other influencers and you're like, oh, they collaborate, so why aren't they reaching out to me? And I think you have to also understand the brand's goals, what retailer they're partnering with. Is there a certain demographic they're trying to reach? Are they trying, you know? So there are moments in campaigns where they're really, you know, micro-focused. And so for micro-campaigns, they're obviously looking to cast people at a certain level. There are times when it's the biggest launch of the year and they're just looking for reach and total impressions and driving as many sales as they can. And so they're going to go for really those top tier powerhouses. Same time, a lot of, you know, the powerhouse people that have those big numbers might not necessarily be the best converters. So for other campaigns, they're focusing on converters, which is what we've come to realize oftentimes, you know, those micro influencers have much higher engagement and in turn higher sales. So I think there's just so much that goes on behind a campaign. Oftentimes, you know, with me and my role, I was always making sure that it was really inclusive and making sure that we were including people of so many different backgrounds. And so also considering in people's budgets and people's rates. I think a lot of times and oftentimes agents are, you know, agents are tough, which is understandable. But a lot of times if you have a bad relationship with an agent or bad interaction with an agent, based on one campaign, you might not want to go to them for a campaign with an entirely different client just because you know it's not going to be a great experience. So I think also as an influencer, looking at your representation because it is your voice and really taking account of how are people interacting on your behalf is super important. And I think a lot of people forget that. Yeah, that is so key. That's why I feel like I would have so much trouble having an agent and because I'm such a micromanager and control freak. And I love making those relationships through email. Like I love answering emails and I think it goes a really long way and we can really relate and talk about other things and even like having like little Zoom dates. So it is a little challenging. So you have to find someone that really does kind of take your voice and mimics it and also is looking out for the best of you and not burning bridges because after all those people on the other end are human they have feelings but there are some brands that are looking specifically like they're kind of old school and they just want the big influencers they just want the hundred thousand and the one million they don't care whether it's return on investment they think that that's what's going to get their product I don't know if it's the same now, but I did notice as I talked to friends who worked in that industry, they were like, some brands just don't care. Like I could sell them and tell them this person has much more engagement. And they're just like, I don't care. I want the name. I want that that association. I think a lot of luxury brands really care about the name. And I think a lot of, you know, more up and coming brands are more open. I think on the influencer side, you know, you just can't let those rejections or those unanswered emails get to you. For every 100 emails that I don't have answered, I get one great opportunity and it's so exciting. Um, I think for me personally, I understand both the brand and the influencer side and what goes behind. And so when someone says to me, they don't have budget, I can understand because there are actually moments where you don't have budget and just Looking at this year, it's been so tough for so many brands and the people at them. You have to recognize that a lot of these people's salaries have been cut substantially. And so when a brand in mid-November tells me they don't have budget, it's because one, they're probably out of it. Two, COVID has been 
horrible for business and they probably had their budgets cut substantially. And so they probably already maxed out. Oftentimes being on both the influencer and the brand side, I will take on opportunities that are gifting, recognizing that it's a brand that I want to partner with in the future and kind of prove myself to them. So, you know, there are some brands that I'll take on if it's, you know, really luxury and really high price point for gifting. And then on the flip side, you know, if it's someone I have a relationship with in the industry, I know a lot of influencer marketing girls just from being in it. And I want to support them and make sure that I'm giving to them because I know how hard it is and how demanding. Additionally, I think something that a lot of people forget is PR agencies have a lot of brands and they're constantly changing brands and they're getting new clients and old clients. And sometimes doing something for free for those PR agencies might bring something paid on a different client in the future. So I think that's really important. At the same time, I think it is really important to know your price, not accept everything that comes your way. I said no to a lot of campaigns, um, especially when I just don't think they fit my messaging and my lifestyle. I think it's really important to stay authentic. And as a brand, we also look at influencers to see what they're pushing. If someone is promoting something that I know they would probably never actually use, you know, it might deter the brand from casting them. So I think it's always that balance of, you know, if influencing is your full-time job, what is that opportunity and what is that time spent on creating content for gifting versus paid and just being open to different, you know, opportunities. Yeah. I do think that it's really important to not jump at every opportunity, just like you wouldn't with your career, like even content creation sponsorships. Just because it sounds pretty, it doesn't always mean it's the right thing. Like reviewing those contracts and seeing what they truly want because there's so much in fine print. And most of the time, if they're working with someone like you, you'd be super open and transparent about it. But there are a lot of brands that try to get away with as much as they can. So for both ends, and I'm sure there's influencers, right, that maybe aren't going to put in their best foot forward if all they care about is money. So it really has to be transparent in both sides. And it really does have to align with both of your values because you don't want to be working with a brand that doesn't support what you believe in anyway, um, especially during this time. But I guess the last question I want to ask is, what do you see in the future for influencer marketing? And what are some trends you think anyone that's an influencer or just looking to start content creating, what are some trends that they should keep up with and maybe some tips to follow online? I think really having a well-rounded audience across different social platforms is super important. I think I look at people that have blogs and I'm like, that's amazing. You still have that because if Instagram disappears tomorrow or TikTok disappears tomorrow, you always will have your blog to fall back on. I think that, you know, there's the rise of all these TikTokers, but there was so much uncertainty if it was going to survive or not with Trump. And so, you know, a lot of these people that rose to fame super quickly didn't have that following on other platforms. So I think just always really keeping in mind having a really well-balanced audience is really important. I'm actually about taking hay on both Instagram and TikTok, and I'm trying to build my YouTube soon. So I think, you know, practice what you preach. I think going into the new year, setting goals. So whether that's reaching a certain number in an audience or brands that you partner with, knowing your worth. I think myself, even though I have so much knowledge being on the brand side about contracts and rights and paid amplification and know what my rate should be based on the hundreds of contracts I've done. I find that sometimes I actually sell myself a little short because I get a little insecure about influencing because I realize it's not my full time. Sometimes I feel like the brands are almost doing me a favor, which is not the case. You're doing a job, you're performing, you're creating content. It's an art form. It's a form of advertising. And so kind of taking a step back and reassessing, my God, this is so cool. This brand is reaching out to me and they want to send me free products. But is it worth the amount of time about I'm about to put into this? And on the flip side, this brand I really want to work with, I've been dying to work with, finally answered my DM. They want to send me stuff. Is it worth my time? And oftentimes I find that 
those opportunities of the long-term goal are more important to me than the in the moment. I think, yeah, just going back to not underselling yourself because I think I look back at some of the rates I was charging and I'm very upset about them. And I'm sure everyone has had that experience. I agree. I think that just as much as you have a network of brand contacts, um, you should also have a good network of creatives that you can also count on to talk about this because nobody likes to talk about money and their collaborations. It's almost like it's taboo. But to some extent, we all have to kind of show up for another and talk about it because it's going to set the tone for all of us, right? If people are taking free product, then that's what a brand is think is going to think they're going to get away with. So they're going to not pay you. So I think we all just kind of need to reach this point. And I think we're moving towards that. But hopefully in the future, it becomes a little bit more transparent. And I also really like that you mentioned holding yourself accountable, setting those goals, just like you would in your career. You should be setting those for if, if it is that you want to grow and you want to make money being a content creator, you should be setting those goals of reaching out to your community. All of those things are so important and money and a following isn't the one thing anymore. There's so much more to that on Instagram. You said setting boundaries and turning people down. That is so key because if you don't have the time, your mental health, again, is so important. So really revisiting your priorities. Absolutely. And I think that's been kind of the thread throughout our entire conversation has been your priorities shift. And as I've gotten older, my priorities have shifted. And as I've taken my Instagram more seriously, that priority has shifted. At the same time, you know, spend more time with my family and my fiance than probably ever being in quarantine. And how does that work-life balance? And actually, you know, as I've been influencing, I've caught myself being on my phone a lot more. And TikTok is my favorite endless hole. And I think something that my fiance has really been saying um, is that you should spend more time producing and creating than you're consuming at a certain point, especially when you're trying to make this, you know, a bigger business. And so that's something I'm going to be working on. I'm going to be setting, you know, timer checks every day for, to see how many hours I was on my phone and trying to decrease that and become more efficient with my time. But finding that balance. And I think so many people are constantly struggling with that balance. And people always ask me, how do you do it? And I, I don't have a right. I don't think anyone has a right. I think everyone has their own little areas that they wish would be better. I haven't worked out in months. I don't cook anymore. I barely cooked before. My fiance does it, but I think it's all a give and take. Mm-hmm. And so for your you know, mental health, just figuring out what are the things that are going to push you towards your goals? And make you happy, but also making sure that you are putting yourself first. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because for some of us, content creation is our little outlet. It is our break. It is our relaxation. And it doesn't mean that you have to produce. Like not everything has to be shown to the world. And a lot of it is trial and error. So I think that's really important. And I really like that you mentioned diversifying your audiences because Instagram right now is just pissing everybody off. So I don't know how long that's going to last. So everybody go get a blog, go get TikTok, do something else. So why don't you tell us where we can follow along your new journey? Give us all the rundown of all your socials. So you guys definitely should follow me on Instagram. My handle is at NYC. That's where I share a lot of my day to day. My TikTok is just a really more fun and casual. I do share career tips and job postings, also some fashion, my family's dog. So it's just kind of like a big mishmash, but it's a lot of fun. That's also the same handle. And then definitely check out my YouTube if you want to hear more in depth about my career journey and kind of development of my different roles over time. Perfect. Well, we will be following along and keeping up with you. Thank you so much for joining us. This was an amazing chat and I'm sure all our listeners took so many notes and it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was so awesome to chat with you and be able to share more about my career journey and all these life changes I have going on. Yes. I wish you the very best on your new journeys. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Grow With The Flow podcast. 
If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe for your bi-weekly dose of motivation and inspiration, highlighting successful women of color living a successful, unapologetic life, both professionally and personally. Don't forget to leave a review, share the episode with a friend, or if you can't wait until the next episode, catch up with me on Instagram at Grow With The Flow Podcast or at Itzy Canales. 